Welcome to Snares Book Prep Uncovered, the podcast where we talk to staff, to pupils and to parents to understand more about life at school. Each episode, I'm joined by Ralph Dalton, head teacher at the school. And today, in this episode, we're talking all about life at a prep school. What's it really like? How is it different to a state primary school? Is it all about boaters and bow ties? Spoiler alert, no, it's not. Anyway, that's all coming up in this episode. So come with me now as we speak to the head teacher. It's Ralph Dalton. Ralph, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you, Simon. And... Yeah, how are you? Uh, I'm very good indeed. Thanks. Very good indeed. I've uh, been looking forward to talking to you this morning. Uh, we're recording this. It's 10 o'clock in the morning. How's the morning looking so far? And in fact, I'm listening. Usually I, usually I can hear children in the playground, but I, at the moment I can't. Oh, there is a small amount. Hang on. Yeah, it's uh, been pancake. So the have we got Shrove Tuesday, actually, at the time of recording. We have our traditional pancake races taking place this week. Mrs. Bradley has just altered it slightly. So she's just having a run through to make sure it actually works. It's more pancake race meets a small assault course. I don't know what sort of image that conjures up in your mind. I might be over overstating it. It's not, you know, they're not going over and under nets and there's no barbed wire. <laughs> it's nothing like, I don't know, barbed an officer wire. and a gentleman or whatever they do. <laughs> Is that, that film has a, certainly talking to a certain demographic. I'm not even sure our parents me. I think they're probably too young to have seen an officer and a gentleman. But um, anyway, so yes, they, they basically they have to flip the pancake and then they have to go under a parachute and then there's a an agility ladder. So yes, so if I think if we'd have started um, about 10 minutes ago, you'd have heard a lot more noise. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what's going on this morning out in the playground. Well, it's good to be talking to you. And today we're going to be talking about the world of prep schools. But, but also, I, I just love to ask you a question, first of all, about this world where we talk about prep schools. I'm going to ask you in a minute what a prep school is. But also, it strikes me that in the world of schools and private schools in particular, there seem to be various words and terminology which, which are used within the private school sector. I say private school sector, independent school sector. People talk about boys, girls and co-ed and things like that. And that there seems to be words used which are often not used in other parts of society. So let's just dive straight into it. What is a prep school? The prep school, so prep school comes from the word preparatory. So it was this idea of preparing your child for their secondary education, which would have been traditionally at 13. So the, the, the prep school in its traditional form was from seven years old to 13 years old. And then at 13, they'd go off to their secondary school. So again, at some of these secondary schools, you'll get what is in modern day parlance year nine. No, not year nine, year eight is often called removes because that was the year that they would transfer from the sort of upper end of the prep school to the um, senior school. So you get, well, you, you're right, you get a lot of weird um, terminology. But essentially, the when we talk about a prep school, we are talking about an independent school and that really means that it's independent from the DFE it's governed by the independent schools regulations so the government set out in the regulations what has to be covered it is usually inspected by the independent schools inspectorate which is an independent body um, from Ofsted so from, again from the DFE um, so it's got an independent inspectorate um, they are self-financed organisations. Uh, they can be businesses. They can be um, charities. You know, they are independent of the state sector. So some people would call them the private sector. Some people call them the independent sector. But essentially, they are 
schools that are independent of the government and local authorities and have that independence. So, and they receive no state funding. I think that's really important to say. Okay, so, but the fact that they do still get inspections like state schools do, I guess prevents an independent or private school from being like a, a, a maverick, we're just going to go off and do this kind of thing. Is that right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I believe, again, I'm, I'm no historian uh, in this area. In fact, I'm no historian in any area. But <laughs> I believe it was the Blair government that really upped the inspection of the independent sector to prevent these maverick they tended to be smaller schools, but, you know, maverick schools basically teaching whatever they liked. I mean, in the independent sector, I'm trying to think when it was around, it was sort of round about that at some point, maybe 2010, 2011, there's this, um, I'm sure it is a myth. I'm sure it's not actually accurate, but they'd say, oh, there were about five regulations that governed the independent sector in 2010. Three years later, there are about 300 of them. And that's climbing ever still. So, yeah, I mean, it's a highly regulated sector now um, rightfully so rightfully so but i think its independence is important in fact for me i think every school should be independent of the government simply on the basis that every totalitarian regime i think there has been has always uh, one of the institutions it's always looked to dominate has been education um, so if you wanted a free democratic society it seems to me that an independent education sector is vital but that's just my own personal slightly political view. Okay, so the, the title of this podcast episode is uh, Prep Schools, Is It All Boaters and Bowties? Or another way of putting it, is it just for posh children and posh families? What should be said about the independent sector is it spans a huge variety of schools and school types. For example, Snaresbrook Prep, you know, our, our children are the beneficiaries of two hardworking parents who value education. That That is essentially it. Then that is the beauty of it. And I think that is in the vast majority of cases, that summarises, you know, the vast number of independent schools. Yes, you have the very famous independent schools, Harrow, Eton, that do have that reputation. But the vast majority are a lot smaller um, and they are really sort of populated by children who love education, who are curious about the world and whose parents value you know, education. Okay, so let's just imagine then that someone's listening to this right now, and maybe they do value independent education, they understand the benefits that independent education can bring. Maybe they're married to somebody who doesn't quite get that. Maybe they're married to someone who went to a state school and is thinking to themselves, well, I went to a state school, I turned out all right. Our, ch our child doesn't need to go to a private school. We don't need to spend the money on that sort of thing. I'd rather hold on to the money and just let them go to the, the local primary school down the road. Yeah, and I think, and I do think this is a question and a set of decisions every family has to, to make and is different for every family. You know, I, I don't, you know, you're right. I mean, I didn't go to an independent school. I'm not entirely sure what difference it would have made on my um, education or my life outcomes i mean essentially the difference i don't know in terms of this you know the curriculum will essentially be the same at both a, a state school and an independent school so uh, and again i should say i think you know again the, the caveat to all everything that i'm saying is really based in in my experience here at snaresbrook prep school or you know a, a very limited knowledge of other prep schools um like i say there is a wide diversity of schools out there but you know essentially the curriculums will be the same we follow the national curriculum uh, what we will do, though, is we will have it tends to be slightly broader in the sort of areas that we go into. Um, 
and we slight we tend to do it in slightly more depth. Uh, most of our children tend to end up working um, somewhere between six months and maybe a year and a half ahead of age-related expectations. I mean, that's a broad sort of sweeping statement, and it's different in different parts of the curriculum and um, even different topics within you know a subject. So, also what we do is we will have specialists teach those subjects so when I say specialists they tend to be primary school teachers who have specialized in the teaching of a subject so mm. for example we've uh, computing or PE um, and again what that does is that means that the the one actually it means the the subject actually gets taught particularly in primary schools this is less so when you're talking about the secondary but you know in a primary school it's very easy as a primary school teacher to think oh actually we didn't finish off our English um, I don't much like teaching X, Y, or Z, you know, maybe RE is one that often goes by the wayside or, um, you know, and so you think, oh, well, I'll just finish off the English. And then you end up doing that on so many occasions that actually very little of another subject gets taught. So having specialists means that the subject gets covered, it gets covered in depth, it gets covered by somebody who is passionate about it, who transfers that enthusiasm to the children, um, who can follow their questions and, you know, guide them when they want to do that little bit extra. Um, so I think that's, you know, that, that tends to be a big difference between a state school and, a, and an independent school. And then I think the other thing is you're surrounded by, the children are surrounded by children who know, who value education too. So that tends to be a really big difference in terms of the culture um, and the value of education. Again, certainly in the primary settings, and I say this only because I don't have the experience in the secondary settings, but certainly I've never in my time heard children refer to each other as geeks or just because they like learning about things. You know, they all like learning about things. They're all interested. They're all curious. You know, they all want to share their ideas and listen to other, other ideas. So I think that culture tends to be slightly different. And then I think in terms of certainly the prep schools that feed independent or selective independent secondary schools. There is then the knowledge in terms of what those children need at year seven, um, both to sort of meet the, you know, pass the entrance exams, um, but also to be able to thrive in those environments. So some schools live with the sort of reputation of being hot houses and it all being all about passing the 11 plus test. But most schools are sort of trying to, um, provide a broad and balanced education where, you know, passing the test comes as a byproduct, and that's certainly the attitude we take here. I don't know if that would convince your sceptical <laughs> parent. <laughs> Let's find out. Let's get a bit of feedback from them. Uh, in fact, if anyone is listening to this and has any thoughts on this, then it would be great to hear from you. Just drop Ralph an email. In fact, Ralph, what's the best email for people to reach you on? Oh, if they if, if they send it to the office, it's called office at snaresbrookprep.org. That'd be brilliant. Another question I have then is if a family's thinking about where to spend their money, then sometimes people think to themselves, right, well, let's go for the independent route for secondary school, for the senior school, but actually let's go for the primary school, the free option until they get there and then maybe spend some money on private tutoring to help them through the entrance exams. Because essentially that is going to work out far less expensive than however many years of independent education at a prep school. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, and I would say this, I think that's a bit like investing or not, not investing in your foundations. Um, I think the skills that children learn, that curiosity that they take into secondary education is vital. If you go into secondary education 
already disliking history and geography. If you go into secondary education, not seeing the value in education or, or you know, not wanting to be seen as somebody who enjoys learning, those attitudes and habits that you will have formed, I think will be quite detrimental. Um, however, if you go into your secondary education and you are curious about the world and you have the, the you know, you've been exposed in a broad range of areas that you can then capitalise on that education at secondary, that's going to be beneficial. If you have gone through the process of revision and understanding how to work towards passing a, an exam, um, which nobody else can do for you. I think this is one of the most important byproducts of this whole process. This whole 11 plus exam is quite, you know, it, it's challenging. And the year fives, you know, turn up in year five and there's doubts as to whether they'll be able to do it. And, and there's doubts on all sides. You know, we look at their work and we think, oh, I don't know. Every year we think, oh, they'll, they'll never do it. They'll never do it. And every every sort of two years hence, they go, oh, they did do it. You know, the process does work. But through that process, they learn that through application, through discipline, through doing small tasks often in the likes of homework, that actually they can achieve something that they didn't think was possible and they achieve it themselves. Nobody bought that for them. I know I've had arguments with people say, oh, yes, but, you know, obviously their parents paid for their education. It's like, OK, well, fine. But they still had to put the hard yards in. You know, they put the sweat equity in. You know, nobody, nobody can. You can be supported but they did it through their efforts. When, and there would be times when they would want to rather sit on YouTube or, you know, play a game, but they do the work. And I think, well, I don't just think, I know from children that, you know, you see it doing GCSE that you've taught and they come back and you say, oh, how's it going? And they say, oh, it's just like the 11 plus. They're so nonchalant about it because they've been through the process. And I think what better life lesson to learn that if you, if you identify a successful process and then you stick at that process, you know, through discipline, good outcomes happen as a result. That's worth the admission alone, I think, that lesson. Mm. Because mm. it took me a long time to learn that lesson. And I think I'd have benefited from learning that a bit earlier. And also the belief that you get that you can do it. It's not, it's not just a conceptual idea. Yes, I can see that if I work hard, I will be rewarded. You know that if you work hard, you will be rewarded. And I think... That's something that sets children up really well. So, mm. yes, I would I would always say if you're going to make that choice, I would go for the prep school and then do the tutoring around GCSEs and A-levels. And that would actually, I think, overall be your cheapest route. However, I do also think that just looking at the grades that you get at GCSE or A-level or the university route also slightly misses the point in terms of, of the value. That's, you know... I think there's far more that an independent school education brings than just the pieces of paper. And that's maybe a, a wider conversation. Now you mentioned about 11 plus and you mentioned about senior schools and entrance exams and things like that. Is there any entrance exam for Snaresbrook Prep? I don't think there is, is there? No, no, we don't. I mean, some, so you've got various entry points at various schools. So there's a four plus. So when they're four years old, a four plus, seven plus, 11 plus and 13 plus tend to be the sort of traditional entry points 13 plus particularly in our local area there are no schools that um, really have a 13 plus entry your more traditional boarding schools that's where you find a 13 plus entry so most entry points uh, to secondary are 11 plus 
And then depending whether they're a through school, so again, there is a four plus entry or a seven plus entry. We generally at Snaresbrook Prep, we have a sort of four, actually they're three and a half. So it's the year before reception age. Mm -hmm. So they're three and a half turning four is their first year of school here. Uh, And we call that lower foundation, but there's no test for that. In fact, for most of the standalone prep schools, it tends to be a first come, first served approach. So as soon as you are, uh, you know you are pregnant, it's wise to phone the admissions team and say, I've found out I'm pregnant. I'd like to, um, you know, I'm thinking about applying to the school. And they will probably say to you, well, ring us back after the birth and we'll put the name down. Well, but but that soon, as, as that, that early, not sort of waiting until a year before they're due to come to school or anything like that. In our area here of sort of northeast London, Essex, and certainly the sort of local schools here, yep, that's how you would do it. Tell me about the fees, because the fees start off at one level, don't they? And then they, they increase as the children get older. Tell me, tell me what that's all about. Yes. I, um, well, you've asked sort of two questions in terms of what it's all about. I'm not sure I'm so able to answer. I'm going to go with market forces. So generally, the older the child, the more expensive it gets. Um, some prep schools have a standard, just the, the fee is the same across the year groups. But certainly most of the secondary schools, you're right, it will go up um, as they get older. I guess some of that is in the cost of hiring people. So, for example, um, it's predict- particularly difficult to get scientists or mathematicians because and they because in the commercial world, they get paid a huge amount of money for those sort of uh, that knowledge base. So to attract them into the school environment, you need to pay those salaries. Um, so there's an increase in cost there. Oddly, though, actually, in terms of ratios, the number of adults you need to child is a lot greater in, say, the EYFS when they are younger. EYFS being? Early years, foundation stage. Got it. Okay. So actually, the costs for the youngest pupils is quite, is you know, the overheads there are quite large too. So, um, but the market rate sort of dictates that it's harder to charge the same amount as you do in EYFS as you do at A-level. So obviously, sending your child to a school like, what, any, any prep school, there's going to be a cost associated with that. Is it worth the cost? I mean, I, again, the short answer I think is yes. I wouldn't expect you to say no, to be honest. Well, I think it's definitely not no. Is, is the cost worth it to come to Snaresbrook Prep? Absolutely. 100% <laughs> nailed on. Um, <laughs> and that's not just my own bias talking there. But because we are also speaking more generally, there's a, there's a wide range of schools and there are a wide range of families and children going to those schools. So I think the the value is definitely in the culture that most of the you know the, the school has in terms of encouraging children to be curious it's in the value of being surrounded by like-minded people it's in the value of being surrounded by teachers who love teaching who are free of some of the uh, pressures of the state sector which means actually they bring more enjoyment to their work you know and there's there's a poem called i am the weather in my classroom oh wow just that title just conveys everything i, I think you're about to say but but keep on going sorry i interrupted yeah, well, you, you know i mean you, you all know that if, if you've got your own stresses in life you're going to bring those to the people you work with now teachers are working with you know um in our case maybe 16 pupils or you know 22 or 24 or 30 whichever setting it is 
you cannot be at your best if you have those external stresses if you have if you're prevented either by sort of edict or lack of resource from providing the education you feel that the children that you work with deserve that becomes very frustrating and generally you know independent schools work really hard to make sure the resources are available for the children you know and for the teachers um, and that the teachers are in an environment um, that celebrates the work they do where it's valued um, where they come to school with a spring in their step because that enthusiasm is is the key driver to to the pupils experience in the classroom so I think that's you know certainly where the value is it's certainly for a school like ours certainly I think the value we offer if you're looking at those schools that are selective at secondary we know the process we know um we know the process how to get the child or to prepare the child for the 11 plus exam but more importantly so that they are prepared to be successful when they start year seven that's really important and and the value and that's not that you can't get that value in the state sector because those teachers are working to the sats um they don't have the experience of working to the 11 plus uh, they don't have the they're not having the conversations with the secondary schools um, about what children need in year seven at these schools to be successful um, so that's where the value you know certainly when i think about what value do we add here that's why i would unequivocally say it's worth the you know the cost so i was talking to a friend of mine recently who had two children and she was telling me that when her children were younger she she and her husband didn't have the money to send both of them to a prep school. So they were both going to go to the state school. But then they recognized that one of them, I forget which one, but one of them just wouldn't have coped very well in a state school. So they made the difficult decision to send one to a prep school and, and the other one to a state school. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, if a family could only afford one, should they send them both to state school for fairness or is it okay to to take a different route for each child recognizing their different needs in terms of should they do one or both or again i think that comes back to these are conversations that every family needs to have and the answer depends on their situation you know I, I, absolutely i think i don't think an independent school is necessarily better for every child it very much depends what you're trying to get out of the process the same independent school won't be right for both of your children because they tend to be different. You know, certainly if they have very different characteristics or personalities or um, it would be very much the right decision to choose different schools for different children. I suppose the, the concern would be later on that one child would say, well, you always like them more than me because you spent this much on them or whatever. But um, I mean, and I, I think that's slightly different to the educational side, you know, and that's why I say, you know, every family has to, to answer these questions themselves. There's no way that, you know, I or anyone else, I think should be answering that question for you. All I can do is sort of try and best describe what I think we can provide and what your child might get out of it um, once we've had a conversation. And then it's for you to then make make the decision, hopefully better informed. Ralph, tell me about the perceived ethics surrounding private education sometimes people think that a privileged position means that they're kind of you know jumping the queue or whatever equally other times people might think that they're sort of lessening the burden on the state sector if they send their child to to, to a private school equally they might feel like that that's kind of a, a, an excuse that they're using and actually it is taking advantage of their privilege in society what are your thoughts on all of that my short answer is i think yes and yes i don't i think it might be one of these situations where two propositions can be 
if not, I, I, I was going to say true at the same time. And then I suddenly thought, oh, I can imagine somebody being upset that two things are true at the same time. And how can they? How can... So but what, what I'm thinking is, so there was, I can't remember the gentleman. He was asked on question time. He was, I can't remember his position, but he was connected to the independent school sector. I don't know, as a head teacher or, uh, and he was asked the question, something like, isn't it the same sort of question about the ethical nature of independent schools and his answer was something along the lines of you know he said in my opinion it's a shame that schools like mine have to exist he said because if we didn't offer a service that was of value nobody would pay to use us i think there's something in that like i said so again there's a wide diversity of independent schools and i guess when i'm framing my answer i'm not thinking about Eats and harrow and i do apologize if i'm mislabeling them um, and maybe the privilege that may or may not bring through the old boys network and anything else that has historically been associated with that you know the vast majority of independent schools are attended by children of hard-working parents who have yes who earn a lot of money and sometimes not earn a lot of money you know and they make a lot of sacrifices to send their child to the school um, you know, they forego holidays, they forego cars, they forego, you know, things that they could have. But that choice exists for them. And also because schools are independent, there can be a greater variety of provision. So, again, you as a parent can think, actually, I want to find the school that best meets my values in terms of education. What am I looking for my child to get out of education? What education environment do I feel most comfortable with them being in rather than a one-size-fits-all um, provided by the state. Now, you know, the, the way we have our society is set up is that we have choice in all sorts of areas. You know, you don't have to pick one form of car. You know, it's in the old Soviet Union, there was the Trabant and that's the one you drove or whatever it was, the <laughs> Chaika, I don't know. You, but there wasn't much choice. There was one car and that's what everybody drove. That's not how our system works. You can choose to drive. You can choose to get the train. You can choose to fly. You can choose, you know, a private medical provision. You can choose, you know, state medical provision. I don't see why education. I, I think it's I think it's illogical to try and separate education off from that. You know, if we want to change the way society is you know, then that's a bigger conversation. But I don't think it should just apply to education. I think in terms of the 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 ethics of it, you know, I'm I'm comfortable with it uh, ethically. I think I think the fact that it is independent of government um, means it is able to offer a, a greater it's able to meet a greater range of needs. And, and again, interestingly, it felt like the COVID provision put out by independent schools um, was significantly different to the state sector. Um, and certainly the provision was quicker to be um, provided than in the state sector. I don't know if what I'm saying, I mean, certainly locally, I, again, I, I'll sort of couch this, my local experience. Um, and again, one of the things I reflected upon sort of partway through it or as you know, as we were three quarters of the way through, I wondered why that was the case. And I think it was very much driven when your existence is solely related to your own efforts, you know, we, we don't receive state funding. So the state sector was going to receive state funding no matter what it did. Mm. We only receive the funding that our parents, when they pay the fees. 
and there was a big section that suddenly went, well, hang on a second, if we're not going to school, what, why, why should they pay the fees? You know, and it became very, it was very, you know, it was about the second thoughts in my head was, well, hang on, if we're not providing any value, why should anybody pay for it? You can't expect people to pay for something they're not getting. So what is it we can provide? What value can we offer in this situation? And how are we going to do that? So the fact that we both had the motivation, uh, you know, through our own sort of need to survive and through the fact that there were, you know, you go through the regulations and you say, right, well, what can we what can we do and what can't we do? But we didn't have to go to a, you know, an academy lead on it. We didn't have to go to the local authority. We didn't have to go to the DFE. There wasn't there wasn't all the, the bureaucracy that would have controlled a lot of state schools that I imagine they faced. And we were able to make some quicker decisions because of that and therefore meet the needs of our, you know, our parents and our pupils. You know, I think that's a byproduct of, you know, us being independent. So I'm fairly comfortable with the morals of that. So, And I imagine as well, you know, we talked earlier about the weather in the classroom from the teacher. You know, if you have teachers who are happy in their work, and I'm not saying that state school teachers aren't happy, not generalising like that, but if teachers in Snesbury Prep, for example, are happy teachers, then when something like COVID comes along, they're going to be, I imagine, more willing to roll up sleeves, change their plans, do something a bit different, step outside of comfort zone a bit and switch on their webcam and be in their own home doing some kind of teaching from there, even though they might not feel overly comfortable about it, but they're, I imagine, more willing to do that in the first place. Absolutely. I think, you know, like you say, that, that whole element, that discretionary element based on the environment that's created here, but also because, you know, because, I mean, particularly, again, particularly... Snaresbrook Prep is a really small, intimate setting. You know, you know those children. You know, I think I said in a previous podcast, I've never woken up at 3am worrying about my own children, but I've woken up at 3am several times thinking about the children here and thinking, right, okay, hang on, what do we need to do next for them? And, you know, not because there's a big drama, just, you know, you know, oh, you know, how do, how do we help them a bit more? So I think it was very personal. You know, we wanted, we wanted to do the best for our children. We wanted to help the families in these situations. And that may be very personal to hear because we are um, perhaps significantly smaller than most settings. But yeah, absolutely. You know, if you love where you work and you are valued by, you know, the people that you work with and that's, you know, if the parents are so generous and like I say, education is important to them, um, you want to give back to that too. So I think that was definitely a big part of it. So last question then, before we wrap up, we talked about earlier whether private school is all about boaters and bow ties. I think we address that. The answer is firmly no. But nevertheless, if a family is listening to this right now and they're thinking, you know, will I fit in with parents at a school like Snaresbrook? What would you say to them? I, I would, again, I mean, it is it is individual because um, it depends when you say, will I fit in? I guess that depends what you, what you <laughs> yeah. are. Mm-hmm. But yes, I mean, the, again, the short answer is very much yes. I mean, if, if you are the sort of parent that wants their child to be surrounded by children that are interested in learning if you value education if you see it as a vehicle for both you know enjoyment and as a vehicle for um, social mobility and um, doing well in life whatever that expression means if you want a your child to have a broad and balanced education taught by people who really think seriously about how to teach things who love teaching things want to enthuse children um, and inspire them. Um, 
you know, then I think you'll fit right in. Sounds to me like a good place to end this podcast. Ralph, thank you for your time. It's been really good talking to you. No, thanks, Simon. So that was Ralph Dalton, head teacher at school, talking about what life in a prep school is like. Of course, all prep schools are different to each other. So if you have any questions or if you just want to see inside Snesbrook Prep, then do get in touch with the school and you can speak to Ralph directly yourself. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.